Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39 as we continue to look at the story of Joseph. Let me open by asking a number of questions or, or yeah, just a, a common theme in these questions that I ask. What happens when you're away from home? Maybe you're on a vacation, maybe you're traveling for work, maybe you're uh, just in a different area um, where people don't know you. How do you act? You act differently. Do your priorities change? Do what, does what you watch, does what you, where you uh, get, be entertained, does that change? You think, well, nobody's going to recognize me here. No one's going to see Maybe you got a different set of rules, or, or maybe there's no rules. We uh, talk about those who go away and sow their wild oats when they get away from mom and dad, and we think to ourselves, what's happened? What, what, what happened in that, in that process of growing up? Was there, what, was there a, a, a change in the heart, or was it just simply to avoid Discipline or to avoid disappointing mom or dad or maybe thinking about what will the community say, what will the people around me say if, if, they, if I really did what I was thinking. Well, what we see in the person of Joseph is, is a, 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 an individual who, whose character is the same no matter where he is. And really, it's an illustration to us this morning of how it ought to be with us. No matter where we are, no matter who we're with or who we're not with, there should be a consistency in our living. And we're going to talk about some of the temptations to that, the challenges to that this morning, and we're going to listen to what Scripture has to say about that. But we want to get at that in the life of Joseph, as we look at the life of Joseph this morning. Chapter 39, I'm going to read just the first six verses. Give your full attention to the reading of God's own holy word. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So far, the reading of God's unholy word. May he add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Your congregation, it doesn't appear that things are going well for Joseph, that they're going to go very well for him. Why do I say that? Because we already know what happens. We're already seeing here what's what's developing. But at those opening verses, that 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 phrase is rather ominous in the scriptures. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and they brought him down to Egypt. It's repeated. 
to show that he is going down, and often in Scripture that is away from Lord. We could see that in Jonah. We heard about that a few weeks ago, and and thinking of, of Jonah going down to Joppa, away from the Lord. Well, here, Joseph is brought down. He is not going there by choice. He's brought down, and we, want, we wonder, is he going to, uh, uh, how's it going to go for him? Is he going to, uh, to change? Is the situation, the circumstance, the environment going to, to reshape him, reprogram him? We hear about that today, don't we, so often? The, even a politician this week saying we need to reprogram these people uh, the universities aren't doing a good enough job of reprogramming them to think differently and to act differently and to get along with the new agenda. Well, they wouldn't put it that way, but that's what they're talking about. And they're talking about reprogramming. Well, what happens when you go off to college? What happens when you, you uh, go away for a time? Do you think differently? Do you act differently? Does change in location mean change in character? Temptation to fit in, right? We have that temptation to act uh, according to his own best interest would certainly have been strong for Joseph. Well, if I'm going to be sold as a slave, then I've got I've to do whatever I can to, to survive, to stay alive. I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes. My morals are now going to be different. My, my, uh, formerly where I had uh, uh, barriers or, or stopping points, well, I'm just going to blow right through them because I have to, I have to care for myself. It would have been very tempting for him to, to follow that line of reasoning, coming down into Egypt, saying to himself, well, nobody cares for me. I've got to watch out for myself and do what's right for me. We hear about that, people getting away from where they're known so they can go and do what they want, and they go off to the city quite often. They blend in. They become anonymous and and. We think, what has happened? It's, it, is it the environment that, that did it? Or, or was there something wrong in, in the heart? Does, does the location have such a strong impact on who we are as a person, as a, in our character? Certainly it challenges us. But what we need to examine is our hearts and to say, well, how is it that we walk uprightly when the temptations are so Clearly in front of us, daily even, hourly, themes like me first, and if it feels right, do it. And this morning we see, we see just how important it is to be walking in the way of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, our media seeks to change us. The morals of movies today, the podcasts that we listen to, the books that we read, we have to be conscious of the fact that there is not a neutrality. These are not just entertainment pieces. These are, there's worldviews, there's, there's thoughts, there's ideas being given in these so-called uh, entertainment mediums. It's easy to be changed by our surroundings. Sometimes so slowly we don't even realize that people use a different vocabulary and soon we're using it. People reason a certain way, and very soon we're reasoning that way. People have wrong priorities, and pretty soon we have those same priorities. Well, Joseph's story then should really grab us and and get us to, to think about what is going on. He's surrounded by new gods and new allegiances, and yet he he shows a character that is 
That is one that is faithful, that of integrity. It said that character is who you are when no one else is watching, or character is what you do when no one else is watching. And that's, I think, a good way to think about it. What, what do we think about when, 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 when no one, we think no one's watching? How do we act? Is, is our character that which is godly and, and reflecting our uh, godly, godly principles? And, and are they our godly principles? Joseph had a godly character. He worked hard with integrity. He served Potiphar with distinction. Now, as we come to Joseph, I don't want us to, to just come to this sermon and think, well, okay, so we, what's being said here this morning is that uh, uh, we, just have to, we just have to act like Joseph because Joseph is saved by his good works. That's not the, that's not the point of, of what's being said here. Joseph was saved by grace. Joseph was saved because he trusted in God. But there's certainly something for us to learn from, from his careful walk through life. We don't, also don't study these verses so we can beat ourselves up and say, boy, I, I wish if only I was more like Joseph. I, I guess I, I got to get, get better so that the Lord will, will, will somehow love me like he loved Joseph. It's not... It's not that. The the gospel is that God loves us in Christ fully and completely. But in Christ, he also, Christ has won for us his spirit that we might live for the Lord at all times, in every way, no matter the circumstance, no matter the environment. Joseph knew the Lord's power and therefore he could live faithfully wherever he was. He lived with confidence in God's keeping he didn't live, therefore he wasn't living for himself and, and looking for what he could take to, to, what, to give him life or what he thought might give him life. This, this was a, a, an example of one who said, no, the Lord will provide and, and the Lord has blessed my life. The boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places, as the psalmist would say, even in the midst of this. Well, Made me think of a time many years later uh, when the Israelites were taken down to Babylon. In Jeremiah 29, there was a advice given from the prophet Jeremiah to the Israelites. What were they to do down in Babylon? Well, they were to not be changed. They were not to, to be transformed by their environment. Listen to what Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 29. He says, thus says the Lord to the exiles... In Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare." Many different uh, uh, commands given, that, but we're not going to develop all those. That's not the point. I wanted to just simply read that so we would re- recognize that this is how God calls us to live, no matter the, the environment. We're, we're to be following his commands, filling the earth, subduing it, praying for those around us, praying for rulers and those in authority over us, as Paul says later uh, to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and, and, and many other things. The Lord had not forgotten his people. He had a plan for them. They were to settle down and live unto the Lord in this godless environment. The Lord has not forgotten us here. He calls us to live 
in light of his word. That's going to look increasingly different than the world around us, having, holding different uh, principles and having standards that are just so seem odd or at, at odds with the culture around us. Well, when Joseph arrived in Egypt, we can imagine it must have been difficult. He, he had to work hard. He, he had many disadvantages. He didn't know the language. He didn't uh, understand the system, how to work. He didn't have any incentive to work hard. He was a slave. And yet, because he lived before the Lord, he worked in a way that was pleasing to the Lord. Long before Paul's words to the Ephesians, Joseph showed what it looked like to live with integrity. You remember Paul's words in Ephesians 6. He says this, Servants, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like servants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is servant or free. Our world needs that godly character. Our world needs people of godly character. It's in short supply. Many of our leaders today lack it. They're so little respect for one another, even in our, amongst our leadership, to work together. There is, there's warning of, well, if you do this, I'm going to do that. Oh, well, if you do that, I'm going to make it twice as bad on you. I'll retaliate in turn. And there's this example set before us of, of how we are to rule by intimidation and by bullying rather than for the good and in keeping with the laws of the land. It's a real moral deficiency in our leadership at present, and a little Joseph leadership would be, would be of great profit for our land. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became very successful. There's another temptation in that, isn't there? When you become successful, can you handle it? <laughs> The Lord blesses the labors of your hands, and then what do you do with it? How can you handle it? It's easy to be swept up into success. How do I manage success? Well, I set from the very beginning my priorities. What comes first? How am I going to be serving God? How am I going to be serving others? Because I know God's going to provide all, for all of my need. He provides my daily bread, and therefore, what is his charge to me? Love God and to love my neighbor. Not love me first and then love my neighbor and then love God. Giving that priority. And we oftentimes think of priority in the sense of what do I do with my money? Right? What do I do with my, with my resources? Because that's often the measure of, of success today. How, how the person who's successful is the one who has lots of money. We believe that more work equals More money equals more happiness. But the Bible warns about pursuit of earthly treasure. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5 says this, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. 
1 Timothy 6, verse 10. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Through this craving, people wander away from the faith and deal with much grief. Paul says a few verses later in that same chapter, he says to Timothy, As for the rich, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Money seems so very important because it can get so much of what the world tells us we need and so much of what it tells us it will satisfy us. Now, we could look at any number of other things that would, would come along with success that, we, that the Bible warns against, but I, just, I want us to just get a sense of the, the temptation this must have been for Joseph. You remember what Joseph was raised like. He gets this special robe, and his brothers recognize him as the favored one, and he's, he's held back from some of the work that they go off and do, and he's kept at home. And he comes to Egypt now, and he says, man, this is... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work, and I'm going I'm to work hard, and... and, and but the temptation then is, boy, when I get this, this, uh, this nice setup here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of just coast. I'm going to skim a little off the top. Potiphar won't miss it. I'm going to fudge the rules a little bit here and there and, and get, my, get my share. You can imagine how challenging that would have been. Jesus warns, however, that riches can deceive when we focus on riches to give us what we think we need, the Word of God can what? Get choked out. Jesus tells that parable. The Word gets choked out when we pursue riches. Matthew 13, verse 22. He warns, Jesus warns that we can get to a place where we want to gain the whole world, but it is on that journey that we can lose our soul. So how is it? We are living. How, how are we to be living? What is our focus? It's upon the Lord and, and to hear His commands and to, to think about what He calls us to, to how to care for others, to multiply the work of the Lord where we can, to give, to be generous. Well, Joseph has that blessing upon him and he's Likely tempted by it, though we don't read of, of that here. But add to that temptation another temptation. That's why I picked this all under his character, because it shows that he's, he's walking with the Lord, and it's something that we should, we'd think, should think carefully about. To add to that temptation, a feeling of being unjustly treated. When good comes after bad, what do we say? Well, I deserve this. I mean, I've been through awful stuff. I deserve this. Or if we're treated unjustly and good occurs for us, it's tempting to think, well, I'll show them. If I ever see them again, they'll be sorry. When they see my position of power, I'm going to squash them. Or I'll take advantage of them. Or I'll find them. They'll be sorry they ever did me wrong. Is that the heart that we have? Is that the attitude? Is that the character that's exhibited when these things come along? No, it's not in Joseph. He's not one who's skimming off the top. He's not one who's thinking revenge, as we're going to see in the, in the weeks ahead, targeting revenge. Rather, he sees his position as one that God has given, that he is to use for those that are under him. And that's it. Joseph's blessing is from the Lord. That's what we see. Secondly, this is God's blessing. It's not luck. 
Oh, just, boy, his, his stars lined up. Oh, his, his, uh, his, he got the right, uh, the right uh, card reader or whatever. He's, it, it's all working out for him. This is, the Lord is blessing Joseph. We read it again and again uh, in this 39th chapter, verse 2, 3, 21, and 23. And, and right from the beginning, he has an eye to serve. The attitude comes through in his life as we move ahead and we see his interaction with the cupbearer and the baker and with Pharaoh and his dreams and with the nation as it prepares for famine and the delivering of his brothers and so on. He has an eye to serve. We say, well, man, this is Joseph's greatest blessing is, is this position that he has here in Egypt. I mean, now look at him. He's got all this money. What can he, what can he do? Or all these possessions, it's growing and growing as we see in the, in the chapters moving forward. He, he could do so much good. And you know what his greatest, he's, what he shows us, his greatest blessing is that God is with him. That the Lord is with him. Leading him to resist these temptations. To be serving in ways that help others. The greatest blessing that you and I can receive is the Lord, His Spirit, to turn our hearts away from these temptations, to handle these resources rightly, to live in service to others, knowing that God will provide all that we need. When God works faith in our hearts, He can deliver us from our fears. When God works faith in our hearts, he can deliver us from the fear of weakness, the fear of a lack of acceptance, the fear of want. He can deliver deliver us from covetousness. The Lord declares throughout his word that he is in control at all times. He's powerful to save and that he knows his people. He knows those who are his He's faithful to provide for our needs. That, that's the greatest gift. That's so freeing. That, that, that helps us be freed up from all of these fears that would seek to, to drive our, our instincts and our, and our priorities which, in a wrong direction. And we begin to love our neighbor, not seeing them as competitors for resources, but as fellow image bearers whom we need to know and to to love. And furthermore, it's a way to witness to God. When others see that you trust in him, then then it's evident. It's evident in your your edifying speech and your calm demeanor. It's evident in your patience and your perseverance. It's evident in your love and your taking time for others. Potiphar saw the Lord's blessing in Joseph's life, that Joseph didn't live for himself, that he didn't sneak around, that he wasn't skimming off the top of Potiphar's bounty. He gave a full day's work for the master's good. He was noticed and Potiphar put him over his whole household. Joseph had a piece that the Lord gave him and That's a gift that the Lord gives to us when we realize that he's in control of all things. Let me try to put this, as I was trying to think through this this week, let me try to put this in the context of our immediate national uh, uh, situation. 
There's so much that, we're, that, that, that I lament, and I think you do with me, that we're losing today. So much of a, of a, of a good work ethic and, a, and, a, and a, an honesty and an integrity and a, and a morality, all of this from our, from our, our Christian heritage. And it, it's, it's lamentable, and, and it even makes me angry at times that, that we've lost these things and that we're losing these things. And, and, and so it's very attractive to say, I want to get on that, on that tank. I was going to say train, but let's use the military term. I want to get on that tank with the one who's got the most power, who's going to win this battle and take back what we've lost. Because we want this nation the way it's supposed to be. And it gets all jumbled, doesn't it? We, we, we should want a Christian nation. We should want uh, uh, citizens who love the Lord. But, but when we're trying to save uh, uh, all of, all of the, the pieces that come with it for this, this, this wonderful material life that we've had, and it, it, that all gets wrapped up in it too. We say, I want all of that. I want, I want the, it starts to sound like an economic plan. And, and it sounds like we're, we're trying to save more of a, of a, a way of life and a, and a style of living than we are uh, remembering that the platform of freedom that we have in the land is a, is a launch pad from which we can share the gospel, which is, which is what we're supposed to be about, first and foremost, calling people to repent and believe and, and to exhibit that and show that and say, our first love, our first, our first passion is for the Lord. Because empires rise and fall. Nations come and go. And we're not surprised when, when, when uh, 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 wealth leads to decadence, which leads to a complete destruction. It, it's, it's happened time and time again. When other idols come up before our eyes and we become enamored by them and think, well, that's what I really want. And pretty soon that's what we're serving and and what we forget is that we, we should be ser- living for the Lord in this free land to make much of Him and to call people to Him. What we should want is reformation, not revolution. Though revolution sometimes seems like, well, that would work a whole lot quicker and just get the bad people out. But it's, it, this is where the problem is. It's not how many people we have on one side or the other of a political equation, but... Where is the soul of the nation? Where the heart of the people? You think, well, if I just get my people in there, then my way of life won't be affected. If I get my people in there, my, my, my uh, economic uh, uh, level of living that I've, want, that I've liked for so long won't be damaged. Well, we, we've got to be careful. What is our greatest blessing To be, under, to be under God. We should want our country to endure. It's not wrong to be grateful for our nation, for all the blessings that we have experienced. It's not wrong to thank those who've, who've fought for that freedom and to say, we thank you for that. That was necessary. But the greatest blessing is, is to point people to, to God, to be born again, to be born from above, to be called citizens of heaven. We have the privilege here on earth to 
name the Lord as Father and to live with peace about eternity that we will be with him. Well, I don't know if that, if, if that uh, was an excursus or what it was, but, it, but it was just, I was just trying to think of how, how we, we have to think about what is our greatest blessing today. Joseph clearly modeled that his, his greatest blessing was the Lord. And um, his leadership was, was of great value to that pagan nation, as we'll see in weeks to come, helping them to, to be delivered through a, a great a famine. What a difference we would see if our leaders lived this way and looked more like Joseph, who lived for the good of those around them and not for themselves. God's blessing is seen where there is a brokenness over sin and a repentant heart and a desire to love him and to love neighbor. We don't read of what's going on in Joseph's heart in this moment, but we must realize that when God is with us, this, this life of integrity will be the result. We'll be those who confess sins daily and say, yeah, we don't get it right. We, we confess along with all others our, our sins of omission and commission. It's there. It needs to be there every day. It's part of sanctification. We don't say, well, we're not like those people. We're over here. No, it's that, it's that daily repentance. That's, that's the blessing of the Lord, that we see our sin, that we're, that we're sorry for it, that we mourn over it, and that we want to, to, to hate it and, and to turn from it. And to call others to do the same. We don't blame all the problems in the world on others. When God is with us, we'll not make it our government's responsibility to make heaven on earth as if that were even possible, but we will live with our sights set on heaven, praying for God's will to be done on earth and to be living out that will on earth, which is what Joseph is, is seeking to do here, showing integrity and putting forth his best effort for the good of the nation. Joseph was a great leader, as we'll see in these further chapters, and we'll learn later that the reason he could be so calm and maintain his integrity is because he knew that God was leading him. Well, how is this? How is that seen in the Son of God who also came down? There's that theme again of coming down. When the Son of God came down into the world, he was not received by those. Uh, of, of his own, because what did they want? They wanted, they wanted uh, the, the, the Roman oppression over them to be destroyed. They wanted their nation set up here and now with no uh, enemies being left. And when he came, he came to call all people to repent of their sins and to turn to him that they might know peace with God and with each other. He did not abuse his power. He did not doubt his father's will, his father's path for him. He served faithfully, and he was a blessing and is a blessing to the nations because of what he did, what he accomplished. What about it when the, with, the civil, with the rulers? He was mocked by the civil rulers who thought they had power. You remember his time there before Pilate, and Pilate says to him, you know I have power. 
You know I have authority, don't you? To power to release you, to, to deliver you from this, this uh, would-be crucifixion. And Jesus says, you would have no power if it wasn't given to you. The power you have has been, been given to you, and, and, and you ought to exercise it for the, for the right ends. But Pilate was afraid of man. And Jesus would have been tempted by that. Oh, if you would, if you would avoid crucifixion, what would happen? Well, if, if, he, were, if he were wise in, the, in worldly wisdom, he would, he would, come, on, he would come out of that, uh, that, that court case and he would say, well, I'm ready to be who you want me to be. You tell me where my throne is and, and we're going to take, you know, take the, uh, uh, the victory away from, from your enemies. But that's not why he had come. That's not who he was pointing to. Because eternal life wasn't found in that place at that time. It was, it was found in him. And it was coming only upon his death, resurrection, and ascension. He trusted his father and lived for him for the good of the world. Our message is... Not a promise that you follow Christ and you'll gain power and blessing now. It's tempting to promise a national blessing if it would make people turn to embrace Jesus and that's been tried. Well, if you just got your act together and embraced Jesus, then all this would be cleaned up as though the greatest gift that you can, uh, can be given is, well, just say yes to Jesus and, and get, get this all cleaned up. But the message is that we need to repent of our desires, of all of our, our passions, to die to ourselves and to turn to Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life, to recognize that our greatest offense is against God and that only as we are found in Christ can we be reconciled to him. Future kingdom is made up of the nations, of people from all the nations those who repent of sin and believe in Jesus Christ, and there will be peace, and there will be prosperity established by the hand of the Lord, not by man or any party. To trust in Christ leads to us living for the Lord. No matter what the world is doing, no matter how it seeks to arrange its affairs, we will then give our best to the Lord for the good of those around us in our homes and workplaces to the very end. When the Lord returns and sees his grace worked out in us, he will declare to his glory, well done, good and faithful servant. We are to live faithfully for him when together, but also when apart, when no one else is watching, when no one sees us, we're to live for him. For you see, brothers and sisters, trusting in God for life leads to living for God now. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are our greatest blessing that we are delivered from sin's curse, sin's power. We are set free to live as you would have us to live, to be who you would have us to be. 
that great and glorious identifier of child of God, inheritor of everlasting life, of whatever background, whatever history. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son, who has won for us your Spirit, that in you and by your power we might live for you, for the good of those around us. Help us to do that. Help us to know a peace when walking with you, no matter what the world is doing, that we are unshakable, that we are acting consistently, whether in a crowd or, or alone, for your honor and your glory, we pray. Amen.